Justin Tinsley, when was the first time you remember seeing hip hop manifest itself in sports? That's a really, really good question. And I struggle to think about the first time, but I I have memories from when I was a kid. My older cousins, they were the ones that really put me on the hip hop and they were big fans of the Fab Five. They were big fans of, you know, Dion. He was with the Atlanta Falcons when he was just starting off. So I definitely remember their influence. But I think like the first big memory that I have, it would probably be Above the Rim, the 1994 film that features Dwayne Martin, Leon, and of course, the late great Tupac Shakur, who had the starring role in that movie. For me, I think it's got to be Shaq Diesel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You were part of the latest E60, The Crossover, which coincides with the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and really explores that genre's relationship with sports. Why do you think those two, hip-hop and sports, are so closely intertwined? I think they're so closely intertwined because the soul of each kind of resonate from the same place. Obviously, you know, hip-hop, if you, if you go off the accepted date, is August 11th, 1973. It was created in uh, New York City, the Bronx. And what was also going on in those neighborhoods at parks? It was basketball. It was, you know, the one-on-ones or the five-on-fives or three-on-threes. Obviously, basketball wasn't invented by a Black person, but a lot of the game's soul came from those same blacktops. And on those same blacktops and street corners were where the first MCs or B-boys and B-girls were born. So uh, they're so closely intertwined because of the competitive aspect, the creative aspect. Obviously, freestyling is a huge component of hip-hop and hip-hop culture. And when you look at basketball, that's a game largely predicated on freestyles. Yes, there are set plays, but when you look at somebody like a Kyrie Irving or an Allen Iverson uh, or Kobe Bryant with this footwork, a lot of that is improvised on the spot. So uh, th- there's there's so many ways that they're uh, intertwined, but it really goes back to like our first memories just as kids. In the documentary, Rick Ross has this really amazing quote about sitting by yourself in a room alone. The connection between athletes and artists, I believe, begins and resonate as a youngster sitting in that back room by yourself alone. And you first start fantasizing about what can I potentially be? What can I potentially become? What can I potentially be great at? A lot of times the the images of success that we see as young kids come from the entertainment, come from the athletic backgrounds. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because those things are front we're facing. But what Rick Ross really said, I think, hits at the genesis and the importance of why these two worlds collide in such a meaningful and impactful way. It's been half a century now since hip-hop first emerged from New York City's South Bronx. It proceeded to spread across the globe to become one of America's greatest cultural exports. And throughout its life, the genre has developed this symbiotic-like relationship with sports. They became two pillars of Black culture, empowering a community to be heard and celebrated 
against the backdrop of cultural oppression and political persecution. So today, ahead of the premiere of E60's The Crossover, our good friend Justin Tinsley joins the show to explain how hip hop and sports became the dominant voices of a generation. I'm Michelle Steele. It's Tuesday, September 12th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Justin, hip-hop is an art form. It is widely understood to have been born in the summer of 1973 in the South Bronx. But I want to start before hip-hop even existed, right? Muhammad Ali, this larger-than-life figure, quintessential Black athlete of the 1960s, I'm curious, what's his role in all of this? When you look at the personality, when you look at the bravado. I'm the king of the world. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it, you're not that pretty. I'm a bad man. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. When you look at the showmanship. If you like to lose your money, then be a fool and bet on Sunday. But if you want to have a good day, then put it on clay. When you look at, honestly, the arrogance and the cockiness, we associate that with hip hop, but that is Muhammad Ali in a nutshell. He was the first rapper in a sense. I remember in the summer of 1963, Muhammad Ali released a comedy album, which eventually got nominated for a Grammy. Uh, It was called I Am The Greatest. And he used this as a manipulation tool to taunt and coax Uh, Sonny listened to fight him, which he eventually did, of course. And the first eight tracks, which were called Rounds, they were all disc records to Sonny Liston, basically saying, you can't beat me. I'm the greatest in the world. I will knock you out in however many rounds. That's hip hop in a sense. The battle records telling people like, hey, I'm better than you. And we all knew Muhammad Ali had the gift of gab. His tongue was more powerful than his hook, and his hook was quite powerful. So uh, when I heard Layla Ali speak about her dad, it, it, it really moved me to hear how, how appreciative she was about the genre of hip-hop and how the genre of hip-hop has appreciated Ali because he was one of those forefathers before the art form officially became an art form. I've heard a lot of people talk about my dad and his rhymes and comparing him to a rapper. I never really thought of him that way, but absolutely, I think that there were some similarities there. People like himself and Muhammad Ali, people like James Brown, there were so many people who laid the groundwork and the foundation to what this art form eventually became. Absolutely. Even when Muhammad Ali would answer questions in interviews, he was very lyrical in his responses. And that cadence would turn out to be so, so influential. But it wasn't just the cadence that would end up being influential. You know, Michael Wilbon, our colleague, captured it really well, I thought, when he said Muhammad Ali 
represented defiance. How did that side of Ali cross over? So that defiance was really a counterculture mechanism because when he spoke out about things like the Vietnam War and racism in America and him saying that I would never uh, fight for the U.S. Army because why would I torture some other countrymen when I'm not even treated correctly or treated rightly in my own home country? You my enemy. My enemy is a white people, not Viet Congs or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. So that defiance spoke for a lot of people, a, a lot of communities and neighborhoods that otherwise would have never been heard to begin with. And in a lot of ways, hip hop in its most pure and its most radical form was just that. So it crossed over because it allowed people to hear the other side of the argument. And that other side of the argument was historically and systemically underrepresented and shut out it represented the grief and the angst and the anxiety of a lot of people. And once you start speaking for people in that realm, that trust forms and that love and that loyalty forms. And so it crossed over for Ali and we saw hip hop in later generations have the same exact mechanism moving forward. Right. So Ali becomes sort of the model for hip hop, not just in how he communicated, but also what he was communicating, right? This defiance, this fearlessness to voice controversial opinions. And one hip-hop group who definitely exemplified that defiance has got to be NWA, starting with their name. What can you tell us, Justin, about NWA? Well, I probably can't say their name on this record because I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> but yeah, when you think of defiance in hip-hop, NWA is, is one of the first you know, names to form along with Public Enemy on the East Coast. So when we talk about NWA, we're really talking about their first album, Straight Outta Compton. And this is the album that really put them on the map. And it, it really addressed a lot of uh, social issues in that music. Arguably, their most politically conscious song is F the Police. And it was Ice Cube's verse that really stood out on that song because, again, he exemplified and he internalized that grief and that anger of being a Black person in these underserved communities being beat up by the police. So they are the, I guess, the image of defiance in hip-hop, especially in, in its early forms, because they exemplified this energy that hip-hop had really not seen up until then. And let's talk about their attire. Oof. What could you tell us about that? Oh, the, the attire was crazy. You got the Raiders. When I look at the Raiders emblem, I often think about NWA. They made these athletic gears, whether it be hat, whether it shirts or whatever, they made them fashion statements the same way they did for the White Sox hat. If it was black and white, they were going to wear it and they became unofficial players on the Raiders because the Raiders always prided themselves on toughness, not backing down from anybody. And that was NWA to the T. When you think about the Raiders, you think of Al Davis, Just Win Baby. You think of the actual logo and you think of the black and silver just representing like this, like I'm not backing down from anything. And so... The Raiders represented that not only to NWA, but entire pockets of communities in Los Angeles and, and honestly across the globe, across the country that felt unseen, that 
you know, they were stigmatized and they weren't given opportunities because of where they came from and what they looked like. And that defiance became honestly like a love language for a lot of people, including NWA. The fashion aspect to all of this cannot be overstated, in my opinion. You know, we just talked about NWA, the Raiders. You know, the obvious connection here has to be Jordan's. Uh, what do Air Jordans Oof. and, by extension, Michael Jordan himself represent to the evolution of hip-hop and sports? Whew. That could be its own six episodes, talking about Jordan's impact on hip-hop, hip-hop's impact on Jordan's. So one of the elements of hip-hop is fashion, and you want to look good. You want to have the hottest rhymes, but you also want to have the best clothes on. And you want clothes that exemplify greatness. So with hip-hop coming of age in the 80s, and obviously Michael Jordan being drafted in 1984, they really kind of came up together. So you see this guy being so dominant on the court and he plays with a gold chain on and he plays with this flair and dominance and fearlessness that represents so much of what hip hop sees in itself. And then the shoes look fly. So <laughs> it, it only made sense that like, hey, you know what? I'm going to get on stage. with I'm, I'm going to drop the hottest song in the world. But guess what? I'm also going to have the shoes on. So Jordan helped hip hop in terms of that. But hip hop also helped Jordan because it established this connection in this relationship that it still exists to this day. Michael Jordan got drafted nearly 40 years ago, and those shoes are just as popular, if not more in many ways. Yes, because of Michael Jordan's dominance on the court, but also hip hop's obsession with those shoes. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. All right, Justin, so after the break, I want to get into how hip-hop continued to cross over into the 90s and how big of a role the NBA played in its growth. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, Wonderful Pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful Pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more.
All right. We just heard from you about Michael Jordan, his significance. Who are some of the other athletes that really embraced hip hop in the 90s? Oh, that's such a great question. It's such an important question. One name off the top of my head is the Fab Five. can't talk about the emergence of hip-hop culture in the late 80s going into the 90s without talking about Jalen Rose and Chris Webber and Jawan Howard and all those boys. They were so important. It was the baggy shorts. It was the black socks. It was the bald head. They represented so much of hip-hop's energy just on the hardwood. And Dr. Todd Boyd, who's an esteemed professor at USC, he has a really great quote in the documentary where he calls them a rap group on the basketball court. They're younger players, individuals who are of an age that they've grown up listening to hip hop. And it's a natural occurrence that they would express themselves in the way that they did because of the role that hip hop has played in their lives. They were like a rap group on the basketball court. And I think that is the perfect symbolization of who the Fab Five were and what they represent historically. I have to keep thinking of more Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. You talk about the drip, you talk about the fashion, you talk about the bravado and and, and cockiness. Atlanta Falcons first round choice, Deion Sanders, cornerback, Florida State. I was kind of scared. I thought Detroit was going to take me. I would have asked for so much money that I had to put me on layaway. I was telling someone the other day, I don't think anyone in sports has spoken to the power of belief in self more than Deion Sanders outside of Muhammad Ali. Looks like you're wearing your signing bonus here. I mean, uh, you know, plus we have the nice, we can see the nice primetime logo already or what? We got sweatsuit started, jacket started, everything. We got it going on here. Everybody everybody got on jury. Even the baby got a little something. We ready now. If you're going to be an MC, you got to have that confidence. You got to exude, I'm not stepping off this stage with anything less than a win. And Deion Sanders was like, I'm not leaving this field with anything less than a win, but I'm also going to tell you about it each step of the way. Hey, Prime had Wu-Tang Clan at the Colorado game on Saturday. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you see Snoop pull up soon, because Snoop and and Deion are, are very, very cool. Now, I do wonder, when is Drake going to pull up to a game? And then I'm like... I don't want Drake to pull up because Drake has a sports curse. And as much as I like Drake's <laughs> music, I'm loving this run that Coach Prime and the Buffaloes are on. And I want to see it continue to go as long as possible. So, Drake, just watch from home like the rest of us. He's listening like so many others. You know it, Justin. Um, <laughs> it's one thing for an athlete to dress like a rapper, say. But if I'm not mistaken, there is only one athlete who we mentioned yeah. who has a platinum record. Shaq Diesel. His nickname, but that's also the album title. The only album from an athlete who raps to ever go platinum. And honestly, with the way the the music industry and streaming and the charts work now, it may be the only album ever from an athlete to go platinum. So Shaq represented a lot of that energy, too. He was fun. He was playful. He was also dominant. He was nasty on the court. And he brought that to the booth as well. And so he was one of the first real big crossover megastars in both worlds. 
And he was global. Dirk Nowitzki even said that he knew that album by heart when he was in Germany. Yeah. Shaq got a lot of respect. And it, it, this song wasn't on Shaq Diesel, but nobody can tell Shaq anything. <laughs> He's got a verse from the Notorious B.I.G. And the Notorious B.I.G. came to his house to record that verse. So... You can say whatever you want to about Shaq, but he's got a Biggie Smalls feature, and not a lot of people can ever say they had that. You know, the NBA just in general played such a huge role in pushing hip-hop into the mainstream, and we definitely saw it with AI, Allen Iverson. Can you quantify his impact? I think I said it in the documentary, but when we talk about, like, Black culture and the culture and hip-hop and sports, I don't think there's a more profound athlete than Allen Iverson. You know, Fat Joe compared him to Tupac in, in the doc. And I think there's a lot of validity in that. Allen Iverson is the closest thing to Tupac Shakur. I got goosebumps saying that. He is unapologetic. He refused to be something he's not. Nobody had the heart of Allen Iverson. He sacrificed his whole body, falling on that floor left to right. Iverson came into the league in 1996, and we see Iverson in 2023 right now. He's largely beloved, and he's getting his flowers from so many walks of life, and I think that's incredible. But during his playing days, his approval rating was very low. And it wasn't just the tattoos. It wasn't just the braids. It was what he represented and the counterculture that he brought forward. So there's no way to really, as you said, quantify how important Allen Iverson is in terms of these discussions. But I would just say there's no one more important than him. And yet we saw the league at the time pushing back, right? Against Iverson, yeah. against hip hop's influence in general. David Stern famously instituting that dress code, right? Unofficially, it was called the Allen Iverson rule because the league and so many other people who, who had a vested interest in the league, they felt Iverson's impact was bad for the brand. There, there's so many articles written in the early 2000s just about how the league was full of thugs. The league was full of players wearing baggy clothes and it was led by Allen Iverson. And it, there weren't even racial undertones. I, it, it, that, that was actually racism. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't undertones. They were calling it like they saw it back then. And Iverson was taking so many proverbial bullets, so many. And if you hear Allen Iverson talk about the, the dress code now, you know, he still feels a way about it. He felt singled out. And in a lot of ways, he was railroaded out of the league a few years later because he was influencing so many of the younger stars in the league just by being himself. Imagine being kicked out just for being yourself. So when we look at the dress code, that is part of Allen Iverson's legacy and not the negative way. But when we talk about that now, we see that like, yo, this was a very unfair discussion around not just Allen Iverson, but an entire culture. All right, so before we let you go, I do have one more question for you, Justin. We talked at length about the cultural moments that happen when hip-hop and sports collide throughout the last 50 years. I got to ask you, what do you think the next 50 years of the culture will be like 
just where do you see it going from here? Well, both have to continue to want to evolve. You know, I would love to see more inclusivity of women involved in this and in terms of hip hop and, and their presence and their impact and just other communities and segments that really don't get a chance to express themselves in the way that they would just musically, artistically, or even athletically. I hope these two worlds continue to evolve because they're always going to be linked to each other. And, and now we see it, it wasn't always like this. Hip hop is a big cash cow. The one thing that concerns me about that is that I don't want hip hop to continue to be too corporatized that it takes away its soul. And in some ways I continue to see that. But as long as both of these worlds continue to remain true to what they are and what founded them and what made them great, I think when we talk about the 100th anniversary of hip hop in the year 2073, I don't know if I'll be there for that, but uh, I, I, hope, I hope it'll be a celebration and not a funeral. Justin Tinsley, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, Michelle. You can check out the latest E60 special, The Crossover, 50 Years of Hip Hop and Sports, narrated by Busta Rhymes, tonight at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN or afterwards on ESPN+. I'm Michelle Steele. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 